This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Why do people use therapy as an insult or a way to make people feel stigmatized and marginalized? Why do we mock people with phrases like, you need therapy or that's why you need therapy? Therapy is really quite demonized and stigmatized. People who seek help are seen as evil, weak and insane. But the thing is, many different types of people seek therapy and some don't necessarily suffer from mental health issues and some do and either is okay. Therapy is a positive thing, especially when one is seeking to improve their mental health. Nevertheless, therapy is not affordable. In fact, in Victoria, Australia, some psychologist or therapy appointments average on $190. Some people live too far or can't afford to find someone who suits their situation. If only there was an alternative. Oh, but there is, and that is BetterHelp. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. What happens is you hop onto www.betterhelp.com and you answer a series of questions about you and your situation. And then you are matched with either an accredited psychologist, marriage and family therapist, a clinical social worker, or a board licensed counselor in under 48 hours. And you can start your journey to better health. See, see what I did there? Better health, better help. Anyway. Oh, and special offer to the Lucy Pod listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash the Lucy Pod. That's better com slash the Lucy Pod. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Please remember that information and advice provided on this podcast is based off my personal experiences as a young girl with ADHD. Although I do analyze, mention, and cite valid peer-reviewed sources, my podcast is not a replacement for professional medical advice. If you have concerns or questions regarding your own amazing brain and mental health, please talk to a medical provider. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which I speak to my listeners today, the peoples of the Kulin Nation. I also pay my respects to their elders, past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Thank you to my listeners and followers. And if you're not already following me, do not forget to do so on Instagram, Facebook, and even LinkedIn at The Lucy Pod. Also, don't forget to like, follow, rate me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts from, at The Lucy Pod. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Lucy Pod. I hope that you are all well and staying safe and enjoying the last of summer and the glorious sun that Melbourne is giving us. So... Today was going to be the ADHD Decoded series episode, but I thought it'd be more beneficial to leave that episode for another time as I've got this episode, you know, to do and a bunch of others that are coming out. They are very exciting 
and hint, hint, they're another fantastic interview. But don't worry, it is not the last that you will see of the ADHD and uh, Decoded series. There will be more coming. But today's episode is going to be a little more serious, a little more technical. Um, and it's going to be about ADHD resources and the lack of them <laughs> and uh, ADHD privilege and the way in which ADHD um, services and treatments and, and sort of just healthcare is really unaffordable and that it's treated as a privilege when ultimately uh, receiving treatment for your ADHD is a right. Mental health is public health and public health is a human right. Um, it's not a luxury. It's not something one should have to fight for or struggle for. Um, it should be inalienable, but unfortunately it isn't. So the first part of this episode, we're going to talk about ADHD resources. So Let's talk about resources that are made for ADHDers and ADHDers who are struggling with comorbid conditions such as anxiety, depression, and OCD. It's really easy for me to say, oh, just follow the ADHD Foundation, but who are they? What do they do? How can you use it to help you? So let's talk about the ADHD Foundation, a Sydney-based nonprofit mental health and well-being organization that is wholly volunteer run by people from all walks of life, teachers, public servants, ADHD individuals, ADHD parents, etc. It exists to provide support to the ADHD community through a helpline, an online forum and a medical journal directory and much, much more. The foundation and all of its services are for free and can be accessed online via their website where you can contact them via email or phone with questions and concerns. You can even create your own membership account and you'll soon be able to participate in the ADHD forum, which is coming soon, and as well as the peer mentoring program that I will be a part of. You'll be able to connect with like-minded people in your age group and situation to share concerns and advice. You also can access a range of journal articles and resources that provide updates about the ADHD medication situation and new developments in research. They are really there to always help you. And I'm not saying that just because I am their youth ambassador. I mean it because I see the way in which they help people. I work with them. I, you know, have a goings on. I I have an understanding of the goings on with the helpline and they are truly there and dedicated there for helping you. So the foundation's community basically makes one feel less alone. So if you're not in a very supportive situation at home, at work, at school or anywhere really, the ADHD Foundation community is there for you because it's really hard to sort of come to accept your ADHD like I have and be very proud if the people around you still don't get it and still haven't cottoned on. It can make one feel really alone and really isolated and it can be really fine to find AD, hard to find ADHD communities. Sometimes they don't really pop up on Facebook. Sometimes, you know, a, a forum isn't the right place. So the ADHD Foundation allows you to connect with others, either through a helpline, the support groups, the online groups, but they also tailor the experience for you. So it's not this big thing that you have to kind of muddle your way through. The foundation's there. It's going to be with you for every step of the way. So if you're feeling alone, if you're feeling like you're lost with finding appointments, sorting things out and such, please contact the ADHD Foundation. I'll link all of their information down below. So any of the organizations that I talk about today, all of them are going to be linked in the description down below with their phone number, their contact page and their social media. 
So the second resource that I want to talk about is Beyond Blue, which is another great organization that's focused on assisting people struggling with depression, anxiety and suicide. So Beyond Blue works with the community to improve mental health and prevent suicide so that all people can achieve their best possible mental health. They describe themselves as the big blue door for many in the community as they are a safe and reliable place for millions of people to access information, advice and support, no matter where they are on their mental health continuum, whether they're well and want to stay that way unwell and need support or in recovery and want to reconnect with others and give back. They've got an amazing 24-7 phone helpline and an online chat helpline open from 11am till 12am, seven days a week and a 24-7 forum. They've been helping Australians for 20 years and they accept anyone, ADHD or not, struggling with mental health issues. Don't forget that many people with ADHD struggle with severe depression and anxiety and sometimes chatting to a mate or reading a positive article isn't going to cut it. Therefore, you have the free helpline services from Beyond Blue. So the Beyond Blue helpline team supports you by providing information and advice about anxiety and depression, pointing you in the right direction to seek further support and identifying other services that meet your needs. They've also got a national health professional directory where you can find a range of mental health specialists. They are there for you when the whole world is getting darker and you need someone to tell you that from here on out, you will no longer be alone. And I actually had the privilege of doing a project on Kids Helpline and Beyond Blue back in primary school. We had to do some sort of assignment regarding uh, mental health and it was up to us to contact Beyond Blue and Kids Helpline on the phone and on their helpline and ask them questions about, you know, what they do, what the volunteers do, how are they trained to deal with situations. And I can safely say that whilst Please don't mistake them for licensed therapists or psychologists. They are trained in dealing with people um, who suffer from mental health issues and they basically get a bunch of information about you as much as you're willing to share. They ask you questions about the situation that you're in, what you're concerned about, and then they come up with a sort of unofficial help plan and that basically gives you the next steps what you can do in the moment and what to do if those things don't help and they are there to point you in the right direction they are a fantastic resource sometimes it saves you from googling and googling and googling they are a fantastic place that you can go it's a one-stop shop same with you know adhd foundation The whole point of it is that so people don't have to deep dive online into grim, bleak articles that aren't backed up by medical professionals and get scared. You've got the ADHD Foundation there that's got all their scientific data that's peer-reviewed so that you can go there, get the information and see how to deal with it and what are the next steps. There's no need to go into conspiracy worlds on, you know, Facebook, on WhatsApp groups, on Instagram, on TikTok. You want to go to a valid peer-reviewed resource. That's the most important thing, especially when we're talking about people's mental health. This isn't, you know, for fun or for giggles. We're talking about people and their lives. So it's really important that, you know, we suggest and that I suggest companies that are, you know, able to do so and not just some random platform on Instagram with positive quotes. Anyway, the next resource to talk about is the NDIS. So... Before you go, hang on, but ADHD doesn't appear on the list of disabilities. Yes, I know. For some reason, we don't recognize ADHD 
um, as having an effect and impact on people's abilities, people's abilities to provide for themselves, to live alone, to work. But apparently it's just not recognized. Um, that's another conversation for another day. I could get into it, but then that would make this episode of the Lucy pod very, very long. So, um, Here's the thing, there's, I don't want to call it a loophole, but there's a way that you could get around it, but none of this is guaranteed. So take this with a grain of salt, meaning that just because you might be able to do it doesn't mean that it will work and um, I won't be held responsible if it doesn't work out for you, but I hope that it does because honestly it should. So if your ADHD causes a debilitating form of anxiety and depression that leaves you in a position of basically being incapacitated, you can be considered for NDIS support. But this, again, it is not guaranteed. If your application is approved, you might be able to access services such as social and recreational support, capacity building support that are funded by the NDIS. Furthermore, if you didn't already know, back in July last year, all of those who were wishing to access the NDIS were able, were offered a free independent functional impairment assessment. And the participant basically, all they have to meet is age, residency and permanency of condition requirements, which, you know, shouldn't be an issue um, because we know that, you know, ADHD is a lifelong condition and so on. And by the end of 2021, which is long gone, it's anticipated that all reviews will be by this type of assessment. So this process is designed to be equitable. Not everyone has the resources, financial, cognitive and support systems to basically gather all of the information required for a successful NDIS application. The criteria for entry is by impairment, not label. And currently there are two available routes to consider um, in order to apply for access to NDIS. So the first one is that the diagnosis can be placed under neurological other on the NDIS list with a diagnosis of neurocognitive dysfunction. However, a neuropsychology report and a psychiatrist report that addresses functional impairments, especially in the NDIS domain, um, should be included. And the second is that a psychosocial, psychosocial, a psychosocial disability application doesn't need a DSM-5 diagnosis. An evidence of psychosocial disability form needs to be used and it can be filled in by a psychiatrist, a GP or the most appropriate clinician. It shouldn't be this complicated for ADHDs to access support and financial assistance, um, but it is. But these are some of the things that you consider. And this actually brings me to the next part of this episode, which is privilege. Privilege is a loaded word. Uh, a lot of people hate it because it's used in very sort of heated context. It's used in, you know, when political climate, the com- political climate is particularly negative and at an all time high. Um, and people find that when they are, t- when they talk about privilege or are asked to acknowledge their privilege, they believe that being asked to do so is erasing the hardships that they have faced despite, you know, having uh, a certain privilege. But the most important thing to know is that having privilege or being privileged isn't an insult or a way to invalidate the difficult things that have happened to you. Privilege is something that every human being possesses, if we want to speak in absolutes. It's what a lot of people possess, but it's all in different degrees and for different reasons. Yet, 
We, of course, all have our issues. However, some people have a disproportionate amount of no privilege, and that's the biggest issue. So, like, take me, for example. Whilst I'm ADHD, you know, I'm neurodiverse, and thus I'm at a disadvantage um, compared to my neurotypical counterparts, and I'm less privileged, I'm very privileged in many other ways. I'm able-bodied. I do not suffer from a mental illness or intellectual disability. My family is able to afford ADHD treatment for me. I'm also tertiary educated and I'm able to access ADHD services at university. And I grew up in a really supportive and safe community and family environment. This makes me very privileged compared to the many ADHDs who have none of this. So even though I'm ADHD and I have struggled, I have had my moments, it doesn't hurt me or pain me to say that I am privileged. In fact, it's a fact. Um, and I've noticed even myself sometimes I'd say in episodes, you know, if you're struggling, make sure you reach out to your university or your parents. But, you know, I forget that not everyone who listens goes to uni or can afford to. And not everyone has, you know, hands-on amazing parents like me. You know, ADHD doesn't discriminate. It impacts you if you're white, black, poor, rich, happy or sad. But it's problematic when it particularly impacts those who are marginalized and disenfranchised and the systems in place are stacked against them. So this is why I really try to get guests from all walks of life on and I'll continue to ask people from the community to share their stories because representation matters. My version of ADHD isn't the only, isn't the correct one. Mine is coming from a place of acceptance and pride and wanting ADHD to be a superpower. But not everybody is there yet and that's why it's so important to listen to different stories because not only is ADHD a spectrum but also humanity. Whoa, need to put in some inspirational music there but it's true. So please, if you are someone who thinks that, you know, your voice and your story needs to be heard and you want to talk about your experience of being ADHD and, you know, share the privileges, share the struggles, please reach out to me. I would love to have you on. I really love doing interviews. They're very fun. As much as I like hearing the sound of my own voice and and talking to my lovely microphone, it's good to have a friend beside me. So the next part of, you know, talking about privilege and sort of the lack of accessibility in the ADHD world, uh, you know where it was going. We're going to talk about money. Why is it so damn expensive to live with ADHD? Why are we still leaving ADHD Australians in poverty to fend for themselves? Here are some stats that will make you angry and concerned. The Australian Government Department of Social Services found that 64% of families with a child or children with a disability surveyed were unable to buy essential supplies like groceries, special dietary products, hygiene products during lockdown. Nearly 40% of families with a child or children with a neurodevelopmental condition surveyed reported financial difficulties as a result of the pandemic. And over a quarter of families with a child or children with a neurodevelopmental condition surveyed reported that they were concerned about the stability of their living situation. Um, that's scary. And then I read a health report by a Sir Dennis Thompson, and he stated that nearly, and this is in America, which isn't too relevant to us, but I found it interesting, that nearly 19% of children living in families below the federal poverty line have a diagnosis of ADHD or a learning disability. So the issue isn't that 
people who are privileged have ADHD. It's that the people who are underprivileged who are ADHD or seeking a diagnosis aren't being helped. It particularly impacts people who are disenfranchised, not meaning that ADHD chooses to impact people who are living in different conditions in lower socioeconomic condition. It's the fact that it hurts and hurts people more who are struggling rather than someone like me. Even though me being ADHD is difficult and has its moments, I'm able to deal with it because I have resources and privilege. But for those who don't, it hits them and impacts them a lot harder and worsens it. So that's the main issue. And that's a a cold and scary and nasty truth about it. But we're going to get even more technical and specific. We're actually going to break down the costs of the ADHD diagnosis process and then how much it costs to live with it. And keep in mind that this is state of Victoria relevant only and that I'm dyscalculic. So my math isn't always amazing. So you can feel free to correct me. So if we're going to talk about costs, let's talk about organizing the diagnosis. So before you even get the diagnosis, you got to organize it. You got to get it. You got to find a therapist. You've got to find a psychiatrist. You've got to find someone who's willing to help you, which isn't easy. So to organize that, you can sometimes go to a GP who can refer you to a specialist and some clinics bulk bill and some don't. And if your clinic doesn't bulk bill, it can cost you up to $50. Whereas a pediatrician's appointment for a referral can cost between $40 to $222 and averages on $128, which is really expensive. Then for an appointment with a neuropsychologist, it can cost, or a psychiatrist, it can cost up to $450. And for a complex neuropsychological consultation, including assessment, report to GP or specialist and other, can cost up to $650. And if you want to get a diagnosis for autism spectrum disorder, you also can, it can also cost you $800. I'm going to let that sink in. So if you go to a GP, it could cost you 50 bucks. Uh, A pediatrician, 128. And then to a psychiatrist or a neuropsychologist, it can cost you up to $450 and for a complex one, $650. Let those numbers sink in. For some of you sitting here, that might be like, that's fine. I can afford that or my parents can. And that's great. But what about for the average person who doesn't make that much and who can't? What do we do? So if we add that up, $50 plus $128 plus $450 plus 650 equals $1,270. And that just depends on how fees change. It could be more. That's despicable. No one, especially people living in poverty, should have to pay so much money. And that's just the amount for one time. What about having to do multiple treatments, services, and testing over the years? It adds up to even more. My parents, yes, my two lovely parents who are amazing, spent $10,000 all up over my child and teen years on my ADHD testing and diagnosis. $10,000. Not $10, not $100, $10,000. Imagine if you couldn't afford that. 
I'm stupidly lucky that they could. And most people can't afford that. Most people can only afford a certain aspect. It's either we fork in and we get the diagnosis and then we don't do the meds or it's something else. And it shouldn't have to be a balancing act. People should be able to access ADHD services in full. I don't know why that's not a thing. I don't know why it hasn't changed. And I hope by the time that I publish this episode, which you know won't be long, that there has been a change, but I highly, <laughs> highly doubt it. So then to add insult to injury, once you're diagnosed, the payments don't stop there. You've got to pay for your medication and or for whatever treatment you're receiving. Plus, if need be, psychologists and psychiatrist appointments, especially psychiatrist appointments if you want to get your meds. So I'll tell you my breakdown of my costs. My medication, my concerta, costs $80 a month. My psychologist appointment costs $190 a session. And they say psychologist. And then my psychiatrist appointment costs $250 a session. I'm very lucky to have parents who support me. Um, but if I didn't have them and I, let's say I was living out of home and I was having to work multiple jobs, I would still struggle to pay for all of this. It's ridiculously expensive. And the fact that the average person struggles to afford this is proof that something needs to change. As the ADHD Foundation Ambassador, the host of an ADHD podcast and future policymaker, I feel the need that I need to advocate. I feel the need that I need. I feel that I need to advocate for accessible and equitable ADHD care. ADHD diagnosis, medication and counselling should be means tested. And for those who are below the average income line should access the services for free. Mental health is real. It's public health. And public health should not be an issue of wealth and access. That's ridiculous. Um, it really bothers me. And a lot of people think like, well, do something about it. And trust me, I'm doing that. That's the whole point as to why I'm working with the foundation, why I help them write open letters. This is why I have the Lucy pod. And I'll continue to talk about how inaccessible ADHD is until it's changed. And it's why that one day I'm going to complete a qualification in this area and write policies. I'm trying to do it. I can't do it all at once, but I think talking about it is the first step and letting people know because some people aren't aware. People who are ADHD or even neurotypicals sometimes don't even know the cost. They're like, oh yeah, so-and-so did it for me or I didn't even think about the money and that's the issue. It's that everyone, no one should have to think about the cost. No one should have to be worried. Everyone should be able to access an appropriate form of ADHD diagnosis that suits their situation. It's not that hard. We do it for so many other things that are valid, yet we're still stuck on this train with ADHD being like, yeah, but it's not like that big of a deal. It's just like a bit of a disorder. It's nothing as serious as this and as that and as that. And we're doing like the relativism of it. And it's it's a, it's outrageous. So the Lucy pod is going to continue to be a place of positivity and empowerment for people on their ADHD journey, but also it will continue to support and empower those who are disenfranchised. And I want to continue to talk about issues of accessibility when it comes to being ADHD and, you know, always keep in mind that while I have a supportive family and friendship network and a lot of privilege and that I'm allowed to talk about these things and give hope, I also have to acknowledge that not everyone has this. 
You know, not everyone who has ADHD has been afforded the same privileges as me. And ADHD is a spectrum, not only how it presents itself, but how it impacts um, different people. So I know that not everyone can talk to their school counselor. And this is why I made the Lucy pod. And that's why I've made this episode so that you know that you have the ADHD foundation beyond blue and the NDIS that are there to help you. And although we can't help everyone and give everyone accessibility and live in a utopia, I hope that this episode and, you know, every episode forward sets a precedent for not only, you know, how I talk about resources, but how future podcasters and individuals talk about ADHD resources. We need to give a sense of community because whilst we might not be able to fund all of these things yet, the first step to making the ADHD world accessible is giving people a sense of community, making so that anyone can join. You don't have to pay a membership fee. You don't have to travel out somewhere that's not convenient for you to join resources. And that's why, you know, the ADHD Foundation is going to set up these peer mentoring sessions on Zoom where you'll be able to connect with an individual who's sort of like not an expert, but very well read in their field so that you can talk to them and get advice. You don't have to pay to attend a conference. You don't have to pay to watch this or listen to that. We're making it accessible. It makes no sense to charge people for something as essential. So I really do hope that these resources can help you. And if you are ADHD and you would like to share your story on my podcast, please reach out to me. And if you're someone who knows of alternative solutions to ADHD support, um, any certain like sort of loopholes or ways to go around, please send these to me so that I can share them with my listeners because sharing is caring and knowledge is power and sharing knowledge around is making people more intelligent, educated and able to make choices and take charge of their mental health. So once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Lucy Pod. Please stay safe, behave yourselves and make sure to check out the resources that I've linked down below. I will see you in my next episode. Bye. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget the special offer to the Lucy Pod listeners where you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash the Lucy Pod. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash the Lucy Pod.